Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. I was a student at Bible College. Uh, when I first started, I was particularly small and skinny. I uh, was 18 years old. I just turned 18 when I moved to downtown Chicago. I weighed about 115 pounds. I kid you not. And um, one day I was walking down one of the main streets, Chicago Avenue, that connects to Michigan Avenue, which is called the Gold Coast, and LaSalle Street, where the dorm was where I was staying, and as I was walking down the street, I happened to pass this huge guy who had his hands around a woman kind of inappropriately. Now, first, I didn't think anything of it. You know, when you live in Chicago, you see a lot of things, and you just kind of say, that's just the way it is. And I normally would have just kept walking on, and normally I don't even give eye contact, but in this case, I looked over, and for a moment, I caught the expression on the woman's face, and she looked terrified. And I thought, I I don't think this is good. But here I was, the guy, and I'm not exaggerating when I say, I believe he was at least eight inches taller than I was. He was very muscular. I was, again, I was very, very skinny. My yearbook for my freshman year that, that the Bible college has a picture of me in the weight room, and it's quite humorous, because you see the weights, and then you see those little threads coming out of my shirts. Like, So I walk by this guy, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, I don't think that's okay, but um, what, I, you know, I don't, what do I do about it? And I kept, I kept walking toward the dorm, but I just couldn't shake the feeling. And a little wrestling match took place between either myself and myself or God and me, and, and it's like, well, you know, it's not my business, you know. This is in the middle of the day. It's out in public. I mean, the woman could scream, I suppose, or whatever. And, it's, you know, I don't want to get involved, you know. It's just not my business. Besides, I would prefer to live another day. But I, I couldn't, I just couldn't shake it. I walked about a half a block. I stopped. I turned around. I walked back to where the couple was standing, and um, he didn't notice me at first. He was actually distracted by other things. And so I looked at the girl, and I mouthed without saying anything out loud. I said, do you know him? And she shook her head slightly, no. And then I mustered the strongest, most authoritative, deepest voice that I could muster, And I looked at the guy and I said, get your hands off the young lady. And at first he completely ignored me. I mean, I think he glanced and they looked back over. It's like there's a fly, you know. That's exactly how I felt at the time. Like, you know, he just looks at like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about you. And so when he didn't do anything, I said it again. I said, I told you, get your hands off the young lady. And at that moment he did. It it kind of surprised me he did. And and then he said, you know, this is none of your business, You leave us alone. And I said, well, I'll leave you alone when you leave her alone. And to my surprise, it actually worked. The guy didn't, you know, he just stood there, and I thought, okay, she's going to walk away. That's what I figured would probably happen. I did, by the way, have in the back of my mind that I was, I could run. (laughs) 
You're bigger, but I might be faster, I was hoping. More agile, at the very least. And so I thought, well, that's it. And so I walked back toward the dorm, but I was curious what had happened, whether everything was still okay. And, and when I turned back, the guy had his arms around the woman again. She really was too petrified to do anything. I don't think she could run, I don't think she could scream or anything. And so I thought, oh no, I got to go back. And so I turned around and headed back to where the two of them were standing. But before I got there, I noticed on a side street, there was a police van. And an officer was eating his lunch. And so I just walked over to the officer and I said, you know, you see that couple over there? And he said, yeah. I said, they don't know each other. And he looked at me, his eyes got big. He said, are you sure? And I said, they don't know each other. I asked her. And he said, thank you. And then I walked away after thanking him and was on my way. And after about a half a block, it's like, I wonder what's going on back there. So I turned around one last time, and I saw about five officers. They had arrested him, and they were putting him in the back of that van. And I prayed that I would never run into this guy again. And then about a month later, I went into this little diner, and there was some yelling going on, and the, the owner was saying, get out of here, and the guy was not willing to do it, so the owner said, I'm, I'm going to call the police on you, and he actually picked up the phone. And so the guy got angry, and he swept right by me, and I realized it was the same guy. On this occasion, though, thankfully, he didn't recognize me, and he walked right past, and then I stayed in there a long time. I want to give him some time to get kind of far away. You know, there are times where we're called to take courageous steps. We're called to do something that God wants us to do or, or a step that we know that we need to take, but it's really, really hard to do it. And, and somehow we've got to muster the courage to be able to do that. And I think some people, when they hear the stories I tell, think, boy, you're kind of, you're kind of a courageous person. You know, I see that you, you, uh, you come across rattlesnakes. Most people run, but you poke at them, and that's true. I mean, I keep a distance, but I find them fascinating, you know, and I do, you know, other things. This past week, I repelled down a building to help support Libera, a good cause, and, and, and I'll, I'll do other things that seem kind of courageous, scuba diving and things like that, or maybe even this incident here, but the truth of the matter is that throughout my life, I've had less courage than most, or I believe I've been much more fearful than most, more timid than most, struggling with this more than most people. But all of us can relate to times where we feel like we're, we should do something, but we lack the courage to do it. And maybe it's, uh, you feel like God's calling you to serve in some way or volunteer. As we've been talking about some of the needs around here, but you're just afraid to do it. Or maybe to help somebody, but you think, I can't get involved. You're just afraid to get involved in some situation, like the story I told. Or maybe sharing your faith, or, or maybe walking in integrity in the workplace when no one around you is. You know, that can be a scary thing. I've had some friends of mine that were actually told by the co-workers, stop working so hard because you're making the rest of us look so bad. And he refused to do it. Well, that takes guts. It takes courage to do that. And sometimes we're asked to do things. Sometimes we need to confront somebody. Sometimes we need to go to someone and with courage say, I'm sorry and apologize. Well, today we're going to look at the story of somebody who was asked to do something that required a tremendous amount of courage, but he was afraid. There are clues to his fear all the way through the story. Gideon. 
story is found beginning in Judges 6. It goes for a few chapters, so it's a fairly long story. Gideon lived around the year 1169 B.C., so about 1170 years before Christ would be born was this guy. And his story, again, is found in the book of Judges. Now, let me set the context of what I'm about to read, but in the book of Judges, there is a cycle that takes place repeatedly in the book. You'll see it replayed many times. The cycle is this. The people of Israel turn away from God, and they begin worshiping idols, and they begin violating His laws. Then God sends judgment or discipline upon them, sometimes in the form of pestilence, sometimes famine. Many times, when when things get really bad, He sends in foreign armies to take over Israel. All these things to discipline the people. And when that happens, then the people pray. That's the third part of the cycle. They begin to pray, and then God sends a deliverer. That's the fourth fourth part. The people are delivered, and for many times it'll say for 40 years or for about one generation, things are fine, and then they go through the cycle again. And the whole book of Judges just keeps doing that. Our story begins with one of those cycles beginning in verse 1 of Judges 6. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Kadamites came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land even as far as Gaza, They left nothing for Israel to eat as as, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to waste it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. The Midianites were particularly cruel, or I view that, that they were evil. And the reason I say they were evil, more than just cruel, that they were evil, is because what they would do is they they would not just attack another nation or whatever. What they would do is they'd destroy the land. They'd come in and wipe out everything. They're described in this passage as being like locusts, both in terms of their number and their effect. There were so many of them, you can't count them. You know, you think of a swarm of locusts, and there's some parts of the world right now where the swarms of locusts are of, they call it, biblical proportions. Well, there's so many locusts, they come in, and you just can't count them, and then they they descend upon anything that's growing, and they destroy it all, and then, then you end up with desert, and this is what was happening with the people of Israel. And so the Israelites, in this great suffering, were even hiding in caves and things, they couldn't even live at home. That's, that, that was the situation. And so God humbled the people in this way, and so they prayed. And on this occasion, God sent a prophet to the people before he delivered them. And the prophet explained, this is why this is happening, so that Israel would know. And they did continue to humble themselves and continued to pray, and so God was going to raise up this guy named Gideon. Now, when we first meet Gideon, he's hiding We pick up the story in verse 11 of Judges 6. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abirazite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty 
warrior. Let me mention a few things about this. First of all, in, in this version of the Bible, they capitalize the phrase angel of the Lord. And when they do that, that means the translators are persuaded that this is God. And understand that the word angel in the Bible doesn't always uh, refer to what you think of when you think of an angel. You know, we have in our mind an angel, you know, has the wings and this and that. Uh, but most of the time, angels in the Bible uh, actually appeared as just a, a person. And the word angel just means messenger, one sent with a message. And so this is someone who's called the angel of the Lord, but it's really just a message, messenger sent by God. And in this case, it's God himself, as we'll see later on in the story. In fact, more specifically, I believe it was Jesus. This is called a Christophany in theological terms. Jesus appears in a lot of the Old Testament stories that might surprise some of you, pre-incarnate. I mean, before he took on flesh and blood, Jesus would appear in some of the stories, but he's almost always called the angel of the Lord. Now, when Gideon meets the angel of the Lord, he doesn't realize it's God, and, and he thinks it's probably a prophet. I think that's what he's thinking, and this prophet is telling him, I, I want you to do something here. But the way in which this angel of the Lord spoke to Gideon, the way Jesus talked to him, was in a way that Gideon could not accept. And Gideon, or I'm sorry, Judges 6.12 again, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. There are really two parts of that statement that Gideon is going to disagree with. The first part of it, the Lord is with you. He didn't believe that. And second, he did not believe the statement, mighty warrior. This was not how Gideon viewed himself for sure. And so, Gideon challenges the angel of the Lord. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. I mean, he's disagreeing with Jesus. He'd read the stories. He'd heard the stories. He'd seen, you know, based on the stories that God had done some remarkable things in bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt and, and all these miracles and everything else. But he's, he's challenging that. He said, I've heard the stories, but all the evidence around me suggests God isn't here. That God has abandoned us, but again, the Lord is saying, I'm, I'm with you. And I can relate to Gideon's objection here, and maybe you do as well, because it's, it's easy to read the Bible stories, and they're amazing. So many of them with all the miracles and wonderful things that happen, and then you look at your own world and you say, well, I don't see a lot of these things happening in the same way today. And you wonder, is God still with us today as he was in that day? Do I really know God is with me? But Gideon then challenged the second part of the statement, the mighty warrior part. Now, the angel of the Lord reinforced the statement again in the next verse, Judges 6, 14, the Lord turned to him. And notice, by the way, now it says the Lord. That's how we know, of course, it's God. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength that you have. And he's thinking, you called me a mighty warrior. You say I have strength. Gideon didn't believe it. The next verse, Gideon said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family's the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the youngest in my father's house. He was, he was really arguing just like Moses did. 
send somebody else. I'm the, at, least, at least I can't do this. And of course, this is how we feel sometimes. But there's only one thing that mattered here in this whole story. It's the one thing that matters in terms of courage and, and whatever else that God asks us to do. God is with us. And that's what God told him in Judges 6.16. But I'll be with you, the Lord said. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Ultimately, this is all that matters. And what I hope we walk away with here today is this, that if God is with us, we don't need to be afraid. If God is with us, and He is, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, God is with you. And if, if He's with you, that's it. You are suddenly the majority. But Gideon wasn't persuaded yet. You see all the resistance here in Judges 6.17. Then he, Gideon, said to him, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, give me a sign that you're speaking to me. So show me a sign, okay? I just need a little bit more evidence about this thing before I take this step. I mean, it's really something, statement out of fear. And I can relate to this too. I won't ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have ever asked God for a sign? Give me a sign. When I was in high school, and I'm not going to go through the story because, frankly, it would take 15 minutes. But when I was in high school, I needed to make a decision about something, and I decided to ask God for a sign. And I asked for something that would not be common, something that would show me that God had intervened. And I asked for this thing, and it happened. But as soon as it happened, as with signs in general, and as will happen with Gideon in the next part of the story... You always wonder, well, yeah, but was that a coincidence? You know, did, did, was it really God that did it? Or maybe that could have just happened. And so I asked for another sign. And another sign. And I was in high school. And another sign. And another sign. And another sign. It went for days. I kid you not. Over a period of almost a week. And, I, and they, were, they were funny signs. I mean, my signs, and I'm kidding you now, they, they involve ducks, traffic lights, a bus, my dad, who was in traction at the time. I had signs related to all kinds of things, and they were all playing out. And then I get to the last sign that I was going to ask, and only half of it came true. And I thought, well, now what do I do with that? Because it was a two-part sign. And it was at that point I realized, you know... You, Signs don't give you confidence. You'll always wonder. That's why Jesus said, you know, an adulterous generation seeks for a sign. I'm not saying it's wrong to sometimes say, please just give me evidence of this thing or a sign of this thing, but our faith ultimately is not going to be in the sign anyway. At this point in the story, though, Gideon, and the angel of the Lord said, okay, fine, or, or at least the implication is he said, fine. And at this point in the story, Gideon offered to prepare a meal for the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Again, he thought it was, I think, a prophet or whatever else. Can I fix you a meal? Will you stay here? And the answer was yes. So Gideon prepared a meal, unleavened bread, a goat's meat with broth. He brought it to the angel of the Lord and set it on this rock. And then the angel of the Lord took a staff, touched it, and a flame came up from the rock, consumed it, completely ate the whole thing, and then the angel of the Lord disappeared. At that moment, Gideon figured out who was there. It freaked him out. These are one of the scenes I want to see when we get to heaven. Well, I just read Gideon's face the moment that fire sprung up and then the angel of the Lord, he realized 
who he was talking to, and it scared him more. In Judges 6, and 23, it says, when Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. Now, that might seem odd as we're reading it here, but in Bible times, they understood that if a person saw God directly in the face, that person would die. God had told Moses that earlier. Moses had said, God, show me your glory. And God told him, I can't show you the front of me. I can't let you see my face. I'll let you see as I pass by. I'll shield you, but do not, I can't let you see my face because you will die. I mean, it's almost as if God's glory is so great, even he couldn't pursue or preserve somebody's life. We're just weak, so human. God is so great, so glorious. And Gideon thought, this is it. I'm going to die. And the Lord said to him, no, peace be to you. Don't be afraid. You will not die. I love the next verse, verse 24. Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is my peace. Which can mean two things that both relate to the story. Primarily what this is talking about is that Gideon realized that he was at peace with God, with the creator of the universe, which is a wonderful place to be. And if you are a believer in Christ, if you put your confidence in the risen Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you're at peace with God. And that's a wonderful place to be. Paul talked about this in Romans 5.1. He said, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the confidence we have. When you put your trust in Christ, He declares you to be righteous on the basis of His payment. And you're now at peace with God. But there's also peace that comes from God. And I think both were true. And when we're asked to do something that's hard... We need the peace of God, and we need peace from God. The peace with God. We need His peace. Now, after this happened, a short time later, God gave Gideon an assignment, and I think this is still an important part of the story in terms of just the idea of being courageous when we're asked to do something. God asked him to do something that was going to require some courage, but not the same level of the courage as fighting the enemy. And I think God does this with our lives sometimes. God will give us smaller tasks where we have an opportunity to take a step and, and, and then we see God's faithfulness and then we are able to take another step and we see His faithfulness. And this is how we grow in our faith throughout our Christian life. And so God gave Gideon a step to take and it was going to be a, something that would require courage. God told Gideon, I want you to take two bowls and I want you to go to your father's altar to Baal and the Asherah pole that's next to it and tear both of them down. And then I want you to take that Asherah pole and I want you to, to burn it with fire and I want you to take the oxen, cut them up, and offer a sacrifice in the exact spot where that altar used to be. So tear down all the altar stuff, use the wood from the Asherah pole, offer an, a sacrifice to me. This altar belonged to his dad, but it's clear from the story, the details of the story, that his dad was very influential in the area and that a lot of the people in the region were coming to this exact altar. And so Gideon was being asked to do something that was going to take some courage to go in and tear down this altar. 
And so we read in verse 27, and you'll see that he was afraid. We read, so Gideon took 10 of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it in the daytime, he did it at night. Now, I don't blame him for this. That's, I think, what I would have done as well. Okay, I'll obey you, God, but I'm not going to do it, like march in there and tear the thing down. And so he was afraid. It just makes it very clear. Fear is a theme throughout this entire story. Well, the next morning, people wake up and they find that the thing was destroyed and they wonder who did this. And so they did the research and they found out it was Gideon. And the townspeople called for him to be put to death. They went to Gideon's father and said, your son needs to be put to death because he destroyed the altar to Baal. And I like what his father did at this point. His father said this, you know, if Baal is really a god, then let Baal take care of it. Which is, yeah, that makes sense. And then his father said something else. And what's remarkable to me about what his father said was that this was his father's altar. And what was remarkable is he said, if you want to defend Baal, you will be put to death. That's what the Old Testament law required. This was a bringing back. And this story was essential to the whole part because I don't believe that God could have blessed Gideon or the family unless this altar had been removed. Now, after this incident happened, something happened to Gideon, and I just suggest that many times when we obey the Lord in some area, that God's Spirit comes upon us in some special way many times to continue And that's what happened to him in Judges 6 and verse 34. The Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn, and the Abizarites rallied behind him. The ram's horn was just a literal horn, but when you blew it, it was empty. You know, when you blew it, it sounded like a, a real horn like we would use. And the Israelites all knew that according to the Old Testament law, when the horn was blown a certain way, it meant gather for battle. So the Spirit of the Lord took over Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and people began to assemble themselves around him. Now, while that was happening, there was another group, the enemy, they were assembling, and it it wasn't just the Midianites. The Amalekites and the Kadamites gathered together with the Midianites, and so it was just this huge group against Gideon. And when Gideon learned about it, he was afraid. And so he asked God again whether or not he was really supposed to do this, to attack this this massive army. Understand that the number of people that joined Gideon at this point in the story was 32,000, which sounds like a huge number. But the number in the Midianite army was 135,000, more than four times as much. And that may not have included these other groups. Might have just been the Midianites. And so he, he was afraid. And so here's where Gideon asked for a sign. And some of you know the story. He said, God, give me a sign if you really want me to do this. I mean, he's scared to death. I get it. He said, I'm going to put a, a, a fleece, like a lamb's fleece on the ground. And if in the, in the morning, if the ground is dry, but the fleece is wet, then I'll know that you're sending me. And so the next morning, that, God accommodated that. And I appreciate that about God. Again, he accommodates us many times. The ground was dry, but the fleece was, you could wring out the water. There was so much water in the fleece. But Gideon wasn't sure yet, so he asked for another sign. 
He asked for the reverse to be true the next day, you know. And the reverse took place the next day. And then he realized the Lord is sending me. Now, he had his 32,000, and as we continued the story, the Lord went to Gideon and said, you have too many. Now, this must have freaked him out because he was so sorely outnumbered already, but God said, you got too many with you. And so God gave him a way to get rid of a bunch of them. God said, what I want you to do is announce to the soldiers there that if any of you are afraid, you can go home. This was something, by the way, that the Old Testament made uh, room for. You know, if you're a soldier and you were scared to death, you were told, go home. And when Gideon said this, 22,000 people left. He was left with only 10,000. The odds are looking horrible. And then God came back to Gideon and said, you still have too many people. Now, you can read the story of how God whittled it down, but when all was said and done, Gideon ended up with just 300 soldiers against the 135,000 people on the other side. But, as again with my takeaway, if God is with us, we do not need to be afraid. See, God wanted the Israelites to realize the battle was His. You know, that's the source of our confidence. That's the reason for our victory. If God is with us, you know, who can be against us? This was a lesson that they needed to learn. It was now the night of the battle. I'm convinced Gideon was still really afraid. And again, I, I, don't, I don't blame it for, blame it for it, but God gave him a sign that he didn't even ask for. God wanted him to again just be confirmed because God knew the fear in his heart. And so in Judges 7 and verse 9, we read, That night the Lord said to him, Get up and go into the, t- the camp, the enemy camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid, there's the word again, to go to the camp, go with Purah, your servant. Listen to what they say, and then you'll be strengthened to go to the camp. So he went with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. And so he was afraid. He said, take your servant if you're afraid, and the two of them went. So obviously he was, he was afraid to go. And while he's there, sneaking down at the camp, he heard two guys talking. And one of the guys said, I had a dream. And he, he explained the dream. He said, this is what happened in my dream. The other guy's response, and Gideon's listening to this, the other guy's response in verse 14, his friend answered, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. When Gideon heard the dream and he heard the interpretation, he finally had the courage to do what God was asking him to do. Now, again, I said it was the night of the battle, and I mentioned last week that the the Battle of Jericho is one of the most remarkable battles in the Bible, but this one is a good match for it. God said, what I want you to do is you take your 300 soldiers, give every one of them a trumpet, a pitcher, like a water pitcher, and a torch. And you're to kind of surround, go kind of around the, the enemy army, probably along the ridge there or whatever, and at the right time when I give the signal, you're to blow the trumpet, smash the pitcher so it breaks, and then have, of course, you've got your, your fire in your hand, your torch in your hand, and so that's what they did. Gideon blew the horn at the right moment. Everyone else had horns. They blew their horns, so it was a lot of noise. They, they 
crashed down those pitchers that broke and sounded like a lot of commotion going on, and then they had in their hands the torches. Well, as soon as that happened, it's like God went to work. The confusion in the camp of the Midianites was so great that everybody began killing each other. You friend or foe, and they were just killing each other. It's kind of a one-sided battle. And, and in the commotion, some people took off running, and Gideon pursued them. And on that day, there was a tremendous victory. Now, after this happened, after this victory, the people wanted Gideon to take charge. We want you to be our leader. Gideon refused, which was the right thing to do, because Israel was under the Lord. God was their king. They didn't need a physical king. And Gideon understood that, but because of this victory, he was considered a hero of the faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. How do we apply this? Well, again, I think God causes us to take steps that require courage, and when that happens, I think we need to know whether or not God is with us. Romans 8.31 is, is the confidence we have if you put your faith in Christ that God is with you and for you. Paul wrote, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now, that looks like an if statement, like it maybe isn't true, but you can translate it, if as is the case, God is for us. Because up to that verse, he, he, he demonstrated God is for you here from A to Z. God is for you. And then he raises that question, if God is for you, who can be against you? scholar by the name of Fitzmaier puts it this way, with God on our side, the forces that are marshaled against us amount to nothing. They cannot prevail. They too can only work for our good. And so I'm asking you to consider, is there something that God's asking you to do, to take some step, to trust God? And in the process to grow in your own faith, and maybe the step for some of you is to even become a Christian. I've had some people along the years that have told me that they, they didn't want to become a Christian out of fear because they'd be laughed at. Their family thought all Christians were idiots. Did you not? And it takes courage sometimes to put your faith in Christ, but I encourage you to take that step. But I want to close by tying this in with the rest of the series. This whole timeline series, I've been making the point that a lot of these Old Testament stories are part of God's bigger story. And the story of Gideon is like that as well. The story of Gideon ties in with the return and reign of Christ in the millennial kingdom. An author by the name of Nadine Drayton Keene explains it this way, the Old Testament events that are recorded in the book of Judges, specifically in chapters 6 through 8, clearly, and that's what we just looked at, clearly are divinely designed to be a forewarning about the end times conflict that Israel will have with her Arab enemies, as well as a forewarning about the one who will be Israel's end time deliverer, Savior. You say, well, where do you get this com uh, comparison? Well, if you're taking notes, write down Psalm 83. Psalm 83 is a psalm about Gideon. But in Psalm 83, there's a reference that points to the end, the millennial kingdom when Christ is coming back. There are five comparisons between the two. I just want to quickly recite them. Number one, in both cases, both with Jesus and Gideon, a prophet was sent to prepare the way for the leader to come. Jesus, of course, it was John the Baptist, and then a prophet came before Gideon. Two, there were seven years of tribulation with the Midianites, and before Christ is going to come back. Three, the brethren in both cases demanded the, their deaths. Fourth, both Gideon and Jesus acted as priests, which is really significant because Gideon was asked to offer a sacrifice. 
technically he wasn't allowed to do that, but he was acting as a priest outside of the Aaron's line, which is what Jesus would do as well. And finally, the trumpet sound signaled the deliverance of God's people. This, the trumpet was sounded and they were saved, which is what is going to happen to us as well. In all of the steps that you take, I want to just encourage you to remember that the battle is God's. And the Lord loves to do things through weak people because when that happens, he gets the glory. The battle really does belong to the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.